You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. So he got up from the meal, he took off. 
clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped about him. Unforgettable. An unforgettable moment that changed the course of those disciples' lives. And what we see here is we see the foot washing, something that many of us are familiar with. But what was happening here? What was taking place here? What was this all about? Well, the occasion is very simple. It was a Passover celebration. Pishah is what they would say in Hebrew, known to us as the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper. It's the last meal, the most important celebration of all. Out of the big three celebrations in Jewish festivals, you have Passover, you have Pentecost, and you have uh, the Feast of the Tabernacle. Passover was one that, oh, it drew crowds. It, it drew people. They wanted, people wanted to be there. This is the night where the lamb was slain. If you know the story, you could go back to the book of Exodus. Uh, a lamb was slain. It was roasted. It was shared, celebrating Israel's freedom from bondage. That's what was happening here. It was where in Egypt the blood of the lamb was taken. It was put over the doorposts and on the side posts. And the reason for that was that when the death angel would pass over Egypt and those homes that would see the blood. And, and when they, when the death angel saw the blood, it wasn't permitted to go in and bring, bring harm to those families. And that was the beginning of their deliverance. Passover uh, was and is a celebration of deliverance from bondage. If you're gonna, <clears throat> if you're gonna sum it up, that's w- the way you would do it. Uh, we're dealing with that meal right here in this chapter. This is the Last Supper meal, and the disciples had many, many meals with Jesus. We know, we read a few of them, they're recorded. But this night was different from all other meals, really from all other meals. This night will be forever remembered, and we remember that today. To this day, what we do and the way that we celebrate is we have communion. We share communion together the first of every month, and that is connected to what we're eating right now. We are celebrating that last supper, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This would be different in a lot of ways, but one of the most important ways this night is different than the rest is because the lamb, the true lamb, is sitting at the table with the shepherd. The lamb's blood was slain for the sins of the world. He was there. All the prophetic word, everything that was spoken of, all the, the, the arrows that, that pointed to the Messiah, to this, this, this time, this moment was coming to pass here. This Passover, this was mandatory celebration, but most of the people really loved to be there. They would make this pilgrimage once a year. They would come into Jerusalem from far off places. That's what they would do. They would come to this place. They wanted to be there. In fact, the last day of the Passover, it was common when you said goodbye to a friend that you would say this in your goodbye. You would say to them next year, see that that was everyone's hope they all wanted to be there they wanted to be in jerusalem they wanted to celebrate their passover this is what they what they wanted to do josephus tells us that the crowds were immense when they arrived they were immense he says that during passover probably there were over 250,000 lambs sacrificed so if you do the math there it's probably over three million people that showed up they, they gorged the city. They came in, and they came in like a flood. And here's, a, here's another thing that helps us understand this special occasion. It's not only Passover, but it's what Jesus said he would do. 
Jesus is marking them out. He's differentiating it. He's saying this is different. This is special. And he says this, and the hour has come. He said that several times. And here, John makes sure that we know it. If you're aware of this, maybe you are, is that this phrase is mentioned six times by the Apostle John through this, this gospel. He mentions it six times. His hour or my hour has come. All the way through, Jesus speaks about this hour. At times, he says, my hour has not yet come, but nonetheless, he's letting us know that there will be a special occasion. There will be a time that this will all be fulfilled, that the prophetic words would be fulfilled. And now Jesus is really pulling the cork on this thing. He's saying the hour has come. The hour is now. Here it is. It's interesting because what we see, what we recognize here is John dedicates six chapters to this one moment. So when you read through the Gospel of John, you're recognizing that this is an important time. The hour has come, and the Gospel writer wants to communicate that to us. And this is why Christians focus a lot on the cross. This is why we focus on the crucifixion. You know, some people don't like to hear that a lot. They don't want to hear about death or the crucifixion or the cross. And they might even say, so what's, what's so good about Good Friday? Why would you even do that? Why would you celebrate it? Well, it's not just a Good Friday. This is a Great Friday. And the reason why it's a Great Friday is because of these words. You see, our sins were forgiven. Our sins were washed away. Jesus has washed our sins away. He's made us new. He's made us whole. The old is gone. The new has come. Makes it a great Friday. And that's why we celebrate. And that's why I want to bring it to your attention because I, I know there are things about what we believe and what we read in Scripture, that, 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 that there, are good, there are good things. We get a hold of these things. We want to understand the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one thing that I, I'm going to encourage you to always keep the center of the way you think, the way you read, the way you go about your relationship with Jesus Christ is to keep the cross in the center, maintain this through his life, his death, and resurrection, that we wouldn't be distracted. We wouldn't look in a lot of other uh, places to find our hope to find the, the answers to our life, they're, they're right here in the cross. Make, make the cross your center. The Apostle Paul said this way, he said, For I determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now that's laser focused. And that we would do the same. We would be laser focused about the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's the occasion. That's what's happening here. They're coming together. This is the Last Supper. This is the Passover. Now, there's something else that's very special about this evening, and that's the guests. Those are who are in the room. You know, this is a private gathering of close friends who are the followers of Jesus, a, a special gathering, a special people. And, and listen to what, what Jesus says or what John says here. He, he says, having loved his own, and then you ask the question, who are his own? His own are the people in that room. They're the closest to us, the, the 12 apostles, his friends. There he is in the middle of a relationship, this intimate friendship and disciples, his disciples, his followers. He says his own here. And th this is important. This, this is not a, a public gathering. This isn't a, a tent meeting. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't about the crowds. This is specifically about a gathering of close, intimate that are coming together, spending this last moment together. 
some of them knew, they sensed something was going on, but, but really it hadn't, it hadn't dawned on them yet what really, really happened. Some of them may have been thinking, well, we'll have another Passover with our Savior. We'll have a, another Passover with Jesus, but this would be the last and the final. This would be the last meal that they would have together. This is a private wedding behind closed doors. This is, this is kind of like uh, the coach gathering his team together before the big game. He was going into the room. We used to call them chalk talks. That's what they were. We would go in. The people in the room were only the players. The people in the room, they weren't spectators. It wasn't a crowd. It was a group of, of, of players on a team. And you came together, and then the coach gave instruction and would write things out and, and talk to you about the strategies of, of how do you win the game. It, it, it would talk to you about the things that you were going to be facing. It would talk to you about your opponent. And, and tell you, warn you, speak to you about that. This is exactly what Jesus does here. He's saying, man, you're, you're, you're in a world, you're in a world that, that hates you. He talks about all these things. So just think of it as a, as a chalk talk. That's what's happening here. This is Jesus training and equipping his disciples to go. That's what he's doing. He's got them together in this room. And why is Jesus again with his disciples, not with the crowds? Why isn't he out there with the unsaved people? What Jesus is doing is he is actually showing us what multiplication in the kingdom of God looks like. He's pulled these 12 in and he's giving them instruction. And then he's saying, now, now you go. You are the ones that are going to bring the good news. You are the ones that are going to talk and live out my kingdom. You are the ones. This is multiplication. This is disciples making disciples. Jesus didn't hide this. He didn't from the very beginning. What did he say to them? Right from the first, he told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus talked about that. He told them that. And so right now he's cashing in on it. He's saying with some urgency, this is happening now. Folks, this is happening. And I love this. I love what happens here because in Matthew chapter 9, what does Jesus say to his disciples uh, when they're passing by a, a field? And, and he's looking into this field and he says, hey, you guys, you need to do something. Uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest. You need to do that. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he would send out laborers in the harvest. And I, I'm sure they took that seriously. I'm sure that when they heard that, they, they started praying, and they started praying earnestly. But Jesus goes a little further. If you go to the next chapter, chapter 10, you see something else. He gives his disciples the power, and he sends them out. That's what he does. So what does he say? He says, you need to pray, but now you're a laborer. <laughs> uh, so what you were essentially doing is you were praying for yourself. And that's, that's the way the Lord works. That, that's the way he works here. Uh, he's, he's wanting to see those disciples go out. Passionate prayers usually turn into purposeful practice. So when you're passionate about something and you're praying about something, don't be surprised if God signs you up to do the very thing you're praying over. Because that's probably what's going to happen. So think about now what you're passionate about. Think about where your passionate prayers are and understand that you are going to be an ambassador in that area that you're passionate about. Right now, it might be about your family. It might be about your community. There, there are things that, that God has laid on your heart. There are things that you're passionate about, you've been praying over. But the Lord now is saying, okay, I'm going I'm to send you out. 
them. They were the answer to their own prayer. We are the answer to our own prayer. So here's the principle. We are saved, we are discipled, and we are that's the way the cycle works with multiplication. That we are saved, discipled, and turned loose. Inside this room, the disciples are being trained to go outside of the room. And oftentimes, that's the way that I feel about the room we're in right now, is that we're, we're being trained, and certainly we want to grow, and we want to be better followers of Jesus, and we want to understand the word more. But there has to be a connection to what God says. What's going on out in the world? I don't want to live in a box, and I don't want to just uh, close ourselves in and uh, deny or even a lack of understanding what's going on in the world outside of us. I want to be connected, and I want to bring the good news there in a way that would bring the salvation of Jesus Christ. You see, there's another thought that's going on here, and it's so much about the timing. What's happening here? It says the hour has come. It's the Passover. There's things that are going on here. So this is about learning to live by a sense of the Holy Spirit's timing. Because knowing what's going on. The Bible says in the Old Testament there were the men of Issachar who looked at their world. And if I can use this phrase, they exegeted their culture really well. They understand what they understood what was going on and they went into that world with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We're in a world today that I just pray, Lord, help us continue to exegete the culture that we're part of through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us this incredible sense of timing, this when to speak and when to be quiet, when to listen and when to, to raise our voices. Lord, teach us how to be good stewards of the time that you've given us. What looks like an ordinary day or an ordinary moment in our life when we are followers of Jesus Christ really aren't ordinary there's nothing ordinary about our days when we're led by the holy spirit you know we leave the house relatively innocent and one day we head out the door at nine in the morning and we're just thinking well this is just another ordinary day listen when you're sensing the the timing of god's holy spirit and how important that is then when you go out just have your eyes open lift up your heads because what was ordinary what started as ordinary won't end as ordinary because God is going to have you cross paths with somebody who needs to be extraordinary and that's the message that he gives us. That's the message of hope that you might bring. It doesn't have to be fireworks. It doesn't have to be stardust. It doesn't have to be all those. It's just sometimes just a simple word, a simple thought of encouragement to someone who desperately needs it. I think you've been there. I think you've been aware of that. You don't have to be ordinary in that regard. You think, God, where did you put me? Is there anything you want me to say today? And Lord will say to us, send me. Send me. And would you be astonished at the opportunities that are open to us when we're open to the timing of God's Holy Spirit? I've felt that on occasion in different places. I feel and I hope I, I operate that every single day. I, I, I think that there might be random encounters. That's the way I think. You know, oh, we're going to have random encounters. There's nothing random about the way God works in our lives. Nothing, nothing random. I mean, I remember being in another country and sitting next to a guy and just starting a conversation just to see how he was doing because I could tell that he, he was struggling. He was struggling with life and he 
I find out in this conversation that he lives in Canby, Oregon. I mean, that, there's nothing random about that. There's nothing ordinary about that. There's nothing. And in and, and that moment, I don't know all that happened, but in that moment, I'm, I'm sure he felt that God hadn't forgotten him. Listen, your delivery, your message can just be one of hope that God remembers. And then there's a third thing about this. I mentioned earlier, we have the occasion, we have the gift, but we also have the host. Up until this point, we see that happening. And the, the host does something that, that startles some of his guests. And we see that in verses 6 through 17. I'm going to read that to you. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then he said this, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you is in agreement. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Before you, he asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think washing feet has everything to do with service. It's probably because it's in the most humble of postures. Bending over, stooping down. It's, it's, it's going low. It's leaning into the ground and into the feet that we see. When I watched this happen, I watched this happen with our team when we went to Kenya a few years back, that there was the washing of the feet. And I, and I, 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 I stood there, I saw that happening, and I thought to myself, these are people that are washing the feet of others. And I knew that moment they reminded me of Jesus. You can't help but see something like that and not connect it directly to Jesus Christ. It's impossible. There are other things that you might see ways that people serve, and you might not make the connection right away, but this is a connection you have to make immediately. This is something that reminds me of, of Jesus Christ, and the same is true about many of you here in this room. Just watching reminds me of Jesus. Watching you serve others and serve a community reminds me of Jesus Christ, that you are a reflection of Jesus in the world, in this community. You are a reflection of him, and I want to thank you because I see it. I see it in different places. I see it when people aren't looking or watching. One of the greatest joys I have is to hear kind of like a secondhand report of someone said, saying, hey, did you know so-and-so was doing this? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, they are. They're serving this way, and they're loving people this way. And, and when you hear that, your heart is just full of joy. Jesus served those who gathered for this last meal with such humility about it. 
Humility of heart always has a passion to it. The most courageous to walk in their shoes. And by the way, in Middle Eastern cultures, the washing of the feet wasn't only the clean feet, it was actually to check the health of the individual. Did you know that? That's, that's the way it works. And when we wash feet, we think about, we think about especially in this case, we were washing feet of elders. And so you're taught to look for signs of diabetes. You're taught to look for signs of infection. You're taught, you're, you're taught to do these things. And so there's this practical purpose of serving people. Yes, you're getting their feet washed, but you're, you're also looking and seeing if they're healthy. What great gift would you give people? Uh, that would be a good gift to be able to say, hey, Listen, we want you to be well. Washing their feet was clean. I look at this passage of Scripture, and uh, so often I recognize humility is misunderstood. Peter missed the lesson, right? You heard the conversation that he had? We love Peter. I love Peter. I love Peter probably for the main reason is that he reminds me of me. I mean, when I think about Peter, I think about someone who's impulsive like me. I think about somebody who's impatient like me. I think about somebody who doesn't always show grace like me. I mean, I, I think of Peter when I, when I read these kinds of stories. Peter was trying to be Mr. Spiritual. That's what he was really, that, that's his whole effort. And it, it wasn't with success, by the way. He wasn't very successful at this. But you remember, he, he has a pattern in his life. This is a pattern. This is just part of what he's done before. If you look back to, I think it's in Matthew chapter uh, 16, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what was going on there. And, and there, there are Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And here Peter runs up and, and I'm, he interrupts. He interrupts this moment, this divine moment by saying, hey, let's build three altars. And I, I don't know what Elijah and Moses were thinking. Jesus already had a clue about this guy, but they're probably thinking, where'd you get this guy? I mean, he's just stumbling in and rambling on. He didn't even know what he's talking about. He did this. He did it a couple of times in this passage in the, in the Gospels there in Jerusalem. Uh, when they, before they went down to Jerusalem for this very celebration, they're up in the north part of the Galilee, and Jesus says, hey, we're going to go down to Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate the Passover and they knew that it was at peril of life. They knew that, that Jesus was uh, walking into probably and possibly a trap. And what was it? Peter said to, to Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you get behind me, Satan. You get behind me. Peter was stumbling around everywhere, wasn't he? I mean, I think about all the stammering, stuttering, weird things I say. Listen to the word-for-word word translation here. It's really interesting because when you dig a little deeper, there's a strong double negative that Peter uses here. In verse 8, he says, this is the way you would translate it, you shall by no means under any circumstances wash my feet. No, never. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Now, we might think Peter is just being humble. I mean, you know, he just he's just being humble, but he's not. I don't think you can tell God what to do and call it humility. You can't say to God, you can't say to the Lord, no, I'm not having anything to do with this and call him Lord. But see, Peter is giving God an order. That's what he's doing here. And again, it's another pattern in his life. This pattern with Peter, if you remember in Acts, 
when he had that vision of being able to eat the unkosher food, and the Lord spoke to him, and he says, Not so, Lord. I've been clean and good and kosher my whole life. Listen, you don't tell God no. Whatever he says to you, it's not no, it's yes, sir. I mean, you sign up. Peter used one word often, and that word was I. He used it constantly. No, I will not have anything to do with that. No, you can't do that to me. Or no, I won't have anything to do with it. The I got in the way in his life. Because the Lord was telling him, this is what you need to do. And so Peter objects here. This is not humility. Humility is often misunderstood. You can see that. Humility isn't, oh, hi, I'm, I just like you for all this time, and I'm so sweet, and I just, it, that's just weird to me right there. That's weird. No. Humility is someone has confidence. Someone has courage. It takes courage to walk a humble life. Because there's things you have to say no to that other people say yes to. Says that you have to say yes to that other people say no to. That's that's really the strength of humility because humility isn't thinking poorly of yourself. Rather, it's not thinking of yourself at all. That's humility. There's a false humility that is actually it's actually a pride. If I was going to label it anyway, I'd say this is prideful. Peter wants to be spiritual, but he he he's making it all about him. He's taking, he's consuming the room is what he's doing in this case. His pride is interrupting the humility of Jesus Christ. Jesus is operating and working humility. And Peter starts to spout off here. And you see what's happening? The pendulum is going to swing here. No, Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Well, what happens here is his objection turns to overreaction. Because what does he seek? Lord, then not only my feet, but... Wash my hands, my head. And I mean, he went from what? Listen to this guy. He's just trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to, he's trying to, to act like he's that spiritual guy. Oh boy, Peter's weird. Why all of this? Because I think Peter has a hard time seeing Jesus. Well, the disciples. I don't know. Do you get a hint sometimes that he might have felt a little more superior than the rest? Could have been a little older. I'm the top dog right in front of Jesus right there. I'm the top dog. And so when he saw Jesus do that, is he thinking, oh, my goodness, am I the lucky guy? Wait, wait a second. Tell him of his plan, of his gift. So the Lord is doing this. Why? And he says this, so that we would model it. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm doing it so you can see me do it, and then you can go out and do the same. This puts Peter in a bind. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. Uh, That phrase is interesting. Maybe it's caught your attention before when Jesus says you'll have no part with me. Because serving others is the ultimate trademark of someone who follows Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is really, if you don't do this, you're really not on my team here. Because anyone who's on my team is going to serve others. That is the trademark. That is the label. That is the mantra that we live by. So, Peter, if you want to be on the team, you need to serve. That's what he's saying here. If you want to be part of it, if you want to be part of the kingdom, then you will have to serve others. See, when we serve others like Jesus did, that's what makes us part of him. 
That's why we're called to serve, connected to him, an expression of Jesus Christ. Really, the anthem from heaven is found in Philippians chapter 2, and I love this because it's so connected and interwoven with this, with this washing of feet. It says this in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus served us two ways. He served us in life and he served us in death through his death on the cross. You see, it was all about his servant. It was all about coming to that cross and serving us because it takes to really serve authentically. It does take that humility. So here's a challenge. I, I was thinking about this. We, we are living in one of the most public eras. I mean, everything's public these days, right? And I think about how much is on the airwaves and, and all the social media platforms. And I think there's some great good that it serves. But I don't really want to know you have carrots for dinner. I, I don't. That, that doesn't really strike me as something that I'm going to take time and think about. But what we realize here is we're, we're, we're living at a time where everything we do, even the quiet things we do, said, don't let your light shine before men. Don't be sufficient in serving others. Actually serving others is a matter of humility. I would imagine that's probably one of the most difficult things for us to do today. Maybe for some it's not, but for others it is. So I thought it'd be good to bring a little challenge to us. I want you to do this. Get prone to do it. One week of telling others what you're doing in your life so just just one week what's it like don't tell them what you're doing don't tell them how you're serving here or doing this or doing that just just lay off for a week and see what happens now I'm going to admit something it's very easy to do that because I like pastor isn't anyone else's conviction. It's not your conviction. It's my conviction. I live a public life already. I think, Lord, I need to hear a call from you. Lord, I need to be able to go and serve quietly where I'm not looked at. And so I'm prepared. And Lord, the temptation is to be there for me. If I did that, it's to let you know through the media platforms I'm on. I'm not addicted to quiet something else but maybe it's not maybe it's social media maybe you're not on social media but practice not letting the light shine i think that's a great challenge so we forgive each other when we do that so let's let's practice that just see what happens for a week see what god does i'm sure that he will let's bow our heads
just want to turn it into a stream in the Zoom for those that are taking contact and just watching this service. If you would um, maybe just lean into Jesus this morning. Maybe, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you need to confess your sins. The Bible says that if you call on his name, then he will be there. The Bible tells us that he can forgive us of all of our sins. says that I can confess of my sins and he who is powerful to forgive me of all my sins and he'll receive me into his kingdom. So wherever you are now, wherever you are outside of this room, you can come to lean in and to just confess your sins to him. You need to do that. You need to come to him today. The first time that you came as a therapist or any therapist I've seen, they would walk with you hand in hand through Jesus' altar. once again for letting us walk with you side by side. Lord, we thank you that you have purchased us with you and given us abundant grace and forgiveness. Fill us today with all of your grace. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.